Good morning, you guys. I had hoped and hoped that this in March was the last time I would have to preach to a camera, but as God would have it, again, here we are, online church, thankful for the fact that we can gather together still for those who quarantine, those at home, those that need to be there. Thankful that we have the opportunity to still meet together as a local congregation in this way and to worship together. So, as Josh said, we are continuing our study in Hebrews chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Hebrews chapter 12. And it, it was funny, as I got ready this morning, I came on to realize I was coming on the camera. Before this year, I had a big camera set up. I almost felt a little bit like Mr. Rogers as I come to speak to the camera wearing my cardigan. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of random. I'm wearing a cardigan. I, I could have sat down and tied my shoes and put on some different ones, but we'll forego that this morning. And we'll just get right into God's Word and uh, as we go through it. And so as we, as we come to approach Hebrews chapter 12, as, as Jack said, I hope you guys all had a great Thanksgiving. Hope that things went well. And, and even as, as we think through, um, think through these things, I'll read the verses and then we'll, we'll talk about a few of these passages, what it, the instructions that it gives us. So, Hebrews 12, chapter 12 through, or chapter 12, like I already said, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may, be, may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness brings up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. And he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And so we're continuing our study of Hebrews chapter 12, and we're continuing the theme of endurance, of continuing on. So how many of you, as you think through this, have felt like giving up on something, felt like just quitting? All right, as we think about Thanksgiving, as we think about the things that we think about at Thanksgiving, normally it's food and football. And for me, I'm a Michigan Wolverines fan, and I feel like giving up on college football altogether, all right? And that would be because, essentially, my team just lost to a winless team yesterday, and so I feel like giving up endurance. Fortunately, I have no bearing on the outcome, so if I give up on that, it's not a big deal. I'll always be a Michigan fan. But if you trade it out, most people here that are listening to this in our congregation are Iowa or Iowa State fans. And if you would have asked most Iowa or Iowa State fans if they wanted to continue the football season after week one, or if they wished it would have been canceled due to COVID, they all would have said, I wish it would have been canceled, right? Listen to you, the University of Louisiana Lafayette or some raging Cajuns or something like that for Iowa State. Iowa was their first two games. But now, Iowa's won the rest of their games since then. Iowa State looks like they're going to win the Big 12. And so, those are positive things of not giving up, enduring and continuing on. And so, the reason I thought it was okay to bring in sports if we talk about this is because the author of Hebrews was writing about a race. He gave us the picture of a race at the beginning of chapter 12. And as we continue chapter 12, he goes back to the race metaphor. Alright, so we, we looked two weeks ago at Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. We looked, we run the race set before us, looking to Jesus. And last week we talked a lot about discipline. 
And so we are going to look at what the author of Hebrews wants to tell us about that. And that's the cool thing about the Bible, is the Bible doesn't just give us truth, it then instructs us and gives us exhortation based off that truth. And so if you look in verse 12 as we start, you see the word therefore. And to be honest, that's one of my favorite words in the Bible, because that means you've got to look at the therefore to see what it is there for. And I know we say that a lot, but that means everything that he's going to say right here is based off of what he just said. It's based off of everything he just wrote. And so he, what did he just write about? He just wrote about discipline. He just wrote about the truth of who God is and that he's in control. And the cool thing is, is that means that theology and doctrine matter. All right, truth matters. And this is what we're going to look at. And as a parent, you find this out very often, and you find good ways to portray truth and good ways to convey truth and, and bad ways. And so he's saying, therefore, this is, he's going to give you encouragement based on the truth. And when my kids were younger, and younger, they didn't always like to eat their vegetables. They're older. That doesn't imply that now that they're older, they all like to eat them now. But we used to struggle trying to get them to eat sometimes. And with my boys, it was easy, right? They didn't want to eat spinach. And so the tried and true thing was to reference back to Popeye. All right, spinach makes you tough, makes you strong, gives you extra strength. That worked for my kids. That was, all right, that truth, all right, so what happened? They ate their spinach at supper, and then they attacked me as soon as supper was over. So there's a couple benefits. One, they ate their spinach. Two, I got out of cleanup because I was being attacked by, like, three young boys who just ate their spinach and were full of superpower. But as I got girls, I realized that didn't always work, all right? And I had a four-year-old who didn't want to eat chicken. She did not want to eat her chicken. And so she was a little past the age of using the airplane trip, right, right? put it in, she wasn't going to go for that. So I have tried a variation of the spinach makes you really tough, strong, gives you muscles, and told her that chicken is good for you. And, and I should have known better than this because I was talking to a four-year-old, but sometimes when you're a parent, you, you, you just lose common sense. And so I told her she needed protein, all right? Because protein makes your body stronger. I figured she wanted to be more intellectual. And, we, and all of a sudden, I hear, I don't need protein vehemently from my daughter. Alright, as I had tried to explain to her, bodies need protein, get strong, get exercise, do all the things you like. And I was trying to explain to her for you the value of protein and why she needed to eat it. And that, that should have, I should have known that was a lost cause before I started. But I didn't. And we carried on. Went back and forth for a long time. Needless to say, supper lasted quite a while for my daughter before she actually ate her chicken. And it had nothing to do with the value of protein. So, Sometimes we see truth and we, we accept it and we act on it. Other times we hear truth and we, we don't understand it. But what the writer of Hebrews did is he just gave us God's truth of who God is, God is our Father, and that he disciplines his children. And that discipline is not joyful for the present, but it brings out joyful fruit. It is not pleasant in the present time, but it does bring out good fruit. And so he says, based on this, based on the fact that God is in control, he disciplines the ones he loves, and he is working, as it said in that verse, uh, that he works it together for our good. Right? It says in, uh, in verse 10, For they disciplined us for a short time, if it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. God brings pain into our life, brings hardship into our life, 
for our good. And so he goes on, and he's going to give us, what we're going to look at this morning is encouragements that he gives us based on this truth, and then warnings based on these truths. So the first thing we're going to look at is the encouragements that he gives us, or the things that we need to continue to grow in and to carry on. So the first one he says is, lift your drooping hands or strengthen your weak knees. And he's saying, strengthen yourselves with this truth. Alright, he's not saying, he didn't say, therefore, based on all this, just, just believe in yourself. You can do it. Alright, and sometimes that's a popular message in the world today. You can do it. It's okay. You can do it. Just believe in yourself. Try harder. That's not what the author says. He said, because God is in control, because he disciplines you for your good, for his glory, this is why you can strengthen, reinvigorate yourself, is the idea. To get back to the strength you had at the beginning. If you think back, the author has done this multiple times. In, in, in chapter 10, he talks about, remember when you were, pleasant, you were enduring the, the stealing of your things gladly. Like you were taking it in, it was glad. It was, you were enduring suffering, it was new, it was novel, you were doing it with joy. And now all of a sudden he says, you need to re-strengthen, reinvigorate yourselves with the truth that God has brought this hardship in your life for a reason to grow you and to bring out the best. And so, he says, strengthen your drooping hands and your weak knees. And again, he goes back to the picture of the race, right? And if you've ever seen somebody run a race, all right, as soon as you run out, you run in, your hands are up like this, you're pumping your, your arms, and you're running, strides are long and strong. And then all of a sudden, as the race goes on, people's hands start to droop a little bit like this, they don't come up as high. Knees get weak, all right? Know your knees are weak when they start to knock into each other as you run. You know that you're getting a little droopy. And so he's saying, strengthen your weak knees. Lift up those drooping hands. Not because you're strong enough, not because you have it, but because you know that even though things are hard right now, even though you are tired, God is at work for your good and his glory. We know that based on the truth of what he just shared with us. And so... He says, strengthen yourselves with truth. That is why it's so important that we have the truth of God in our lives. That we know his word, because that is what strengthens and encourages us. Alright, that is as you go on a race. You've done a long race, like the, the Dan the Dan. I ran one with Josh, Pastor Josh once. Right, there's tables of water, Gatorade, all this kind of stuff along. And you take that, and you take that to help encourage you and strengthen you. And that's, as we go on in the Christian race, we are continuing to take in God's truth. That's what invigorates and strengthens us and gets us back to where we need to be. And so the first encouragement is to strengthen yourselves with truth. And the next thing he says is to, he says, uh, make straight the paths of your feet so that what's lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. And so he's saying to run straight. That's the next thing you know about tired runners is they don't always run in a straight line. All right, they're, they're wobbling, their knees are weak, they start running zigzag, they start fading in and out. And he's saying you need to make straight your path. All right? And the cool thing about this whole passage is the author is encouraging us to do this, to examine our own lives, but then he's also encouraging us to help those alongside us. All right? And he's, so, so he's saying make straight your path, not only for yourselves, but for those that are struggling and laying behind you that are using, or that you are an example to, that you are helping along. And you, as you go straight, then they can follow even in your example. And, and that is... You see that lived out in, in life. You see that lived out even as I was thinking through this passage again. Go back to the one half marathon we ran. Like, it's good to have people with you that you follow along and you continue to race along. Because when you feel like giving up, they're going on. They're going strong. And then when they feel like giving up, you continue to encourage them. And so, making straight paths. And 
how do we make straight paths? This even quotes or refers to uh, Proverbs 4, 26, to ponder the way of your feet, ponder the path that you take. And again, to me, it goes back to the, the idea of focus on Christ, right? Our direction is determined often by our focus and what we are focused on. And we are to be looking at Jesus. That was said at the beginning of chapter 12. That was said again in the passage we studied last week, to be continuing to consider Jesus, looking to him. And if we are focused on him, that will make our pathway straight. If we get distracted by things to the right or the left, we are going to go that way. All right, we go that way, and we, we tend to stray out of our lane when that happens. Just like I'm now at this stage of life where I'm helping teach kids to drive. All right, that's fun, scary, exhilarating all at the same time. And you remember, they, they go the way they look, just like we did when I learned how to drive. And so they're driving straight, and they see something over this way. They're, they go like that with the wheel. The next thing, your car's going this way. And the idea is that we need to continue to be focused, to be going straight to what Jesus has called for, straight towards the goal, running to finish the race, to finish it well, going straight ahead. All right, and same thing. Every time you race, you do that. You tell people that. If you notice the people that are looking to the side, right, left, to see where everybody are, normally they're the people that end up losing because they're starting to look around, and the people that are just lasered in at the end, focused, sprinting, pass up those who are looking around to see what's going on. So he, the encouragement he gives us is to strengthen ourselves with truth, to go straight, as in our example, looking at Jesus. And then in verse 14, then he says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So we're supposed to strengthen ourselves straight, and to strengthen ourselves with truth, go straight, and then to strive for peace. All right, and that is to put out effort, exerted effort. It's not just like, you know, if it happens to be that you can have peace with other people, then do it. It's exerted effort to actually go out of your way, make an effort to be at peace with other people. And this, this incurred, this, this, uh, this word is a strong word, right? It's strive. It's also, this word strive is also used to persecute. It's used in a different way when it's negative. It's used, it means to persecute people. So it's not like you're just trying to maybe, you know, hey, I said hi to him, he didn't respond, so I'm not going to be peaceful towards this person. It's striving. It's making every effort to be at peace with other people. And to, if you want to think of that way, to persecute them with people, that doesn't mean like to make their lives miserable, but to chase them down, to, to strive to be at peace. And that, that's not easy. It's not easy to do, to strive to be at peace with other people, especially with people that we don't agree with and people that we don't like. And, and the author of Hebrews didn't say, strive to be at peace with your friends, or strive to be at peace with just the people that you know, or just the people even within your church, even though that is a stretch for some of us. But he said, strive to be at peace with everyone. And that we are be making that effort to be striving to be at peace with others. And why can we do that? It's not because of anything within ourselves, it's because of what God has done for us. We can love others, as we see in 1 John 4, because God loved us first. We are to strive to be at peace with all people, whether they deserve it in our mind or not. And that is something that I often have to remind myself of, is that we don't treat other people as they deserve to be treated, because God didn't treat us as we deserve to be treated. 
So my seeking of peace with other people is not based on whether or not they deserve it. They may not. But it is based on the fact that they are created in God's image, that God has commanded me to live at peace with the people I love. He's commanded me to love my enemies. And so he has commanded us to strive for peace with others. And so as we strive for peace, if you, and if you want to even read more, there's a good passage in Romans 12, verses 12 through, uh, or I'm sorry, 14 through 21. And Paul, when he writes to Romans, he says, as much as it's able to, in your control, be at peace with others. And so this is very straightforward. We need to strive to be at peace with other people. And then he said, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And again, if you read this verse, maybe it's saying that we have to work for our salvation because if we don't work for the holiness and we won't see God. No. It's one, we strive for peace with people and then we strive to live out the holiness that we see in God because without Christ's holiness, right, in verse 10, uh, or I'm sorry, verse 11 of this chapter, it said, or I'm sorry, uh, let me see here. Yeah, verse 10, that he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. He's not saying that we earn holiness. We are become partakers of God's holiness once we accept Jesus Christ as Savior. And we get partake of it. But once we have been made a child of God, then we are to pursue holiness. We are to live out, to grow, to be sanctified live at peace with God, pursue holiness. First Peter 1.16, Peter says, be holy because I am holy, is what the Lord said, even in the Old Testament. So to seek after holiness. We are to strive to be at peace with man and with God. We are to live out the holiness that God has given to us. So those are the encouragements that we have. And then he switches over in uh, verse 16, and we're going to, or I'm sorry, verse 15, to see the warnings. Alright, so we see the, the warning starting in verse 15. It says, see to it, or look diligently after. And that means to watch out. It carries the idea of an overseer. And it says, watch out, see to it that no one fails to obtain, obtain the grace of God. And that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. And so the first thing we see is he gives us warning. And in verse 15, he says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And it's not, again, it's not saying that people fail, or that somebody was saved and then fails to obtain the grace and they mess up. It's, again, it's being watching out, not taking for granted. Examining your own life to see where you are in standing with God, as Paul often encourages us to examine our lives, to see where we stood with God, but then also not to take for granted that everyone within the church, everyone within the group of believers has already obtained the grace of God. And we don't obtain the grace of God through works. We know clearly, as taught throughout the scriptures, that God's grace comes through faith. Our faith comes through hearing the word of God. And faith in Jesus Christ brings God's grace into our life. And so he is warning us to not be, you know, to not be, uh, Complacent to not just think that everybody within the church has accepted Christ as Savior. He says, see to it that no one fails. And again, this watching over or seeing, being an overseer of other people is not the idea of like nitpicking everybody and trying to figure out how you can judge this person and that person. It's watching out for the benefit, helping one another to grow together. And so we watch out for the souls. We watch out for those who 
are within to make sure there aren't people who haven't obtained that think they're saying, do we watch out for these things? And then he says, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it may become defiled. And two ideas that come from this is one, this could be a reference back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, talking about a root of bitterness. And this root, or this bitter root that grew up within the people of Israel, was that of false teachers? Was that the people who were following after idols? And we need to be on guard and watching out that that root, or bitter roots, do not grow up within the church. And that can happen even from people who are accepted to have no Jesus Christ as Savior. But we don't want a root that is bitter to grow up. And the other idea that is carried with it is just bitterness growing up within the church. And again, that could potentially tie back to the, the challenge, the, the encouragement in verse 14, where we need to strive to be at peace with all men. You see that roots that are bitter, whether it is from false teaching, whether it's just from sin, a bitter idolatry, right? And, and to be honest, the, the bitter root of idolatry can manifest itself in many different ways, whether it is false teaching or whether it is the idolatry of putting self above others, putting family above God, putting anyone or anything, any place above God, that can be a bitter root. And so to not allow that to grow up, and when we think about allowing bitter roots to grow up within it, whether it's just bitterness towards other people, bitterness towards any a person or a thing that took place, in the end, it all boils down to the same thing. We may convince ourselves that, my, that our bitterness, that our anger, that our discontentment is because of what somebody did to us. But honestly, when you boil it down to the end, any bitter root, any idolatry, is bitterness or lack of faith in God. And we don't always like to hear that, but it is true. And there is nothing that destroys the house of God, there's nothing that destroys the church, the group of gathered saints more than roots of bitterness that are allowed to remain. And that is what we need to know and to think of and to examine our lives. That you cannot, right? This is a strong word from, from John, John 4, 20, 1 John 4, 20, when he says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We cannot follow after God and hate a brother or a sister in Christ. We cannot follow after God with a clear conscience and have bitter roots within us. It's not possible. It can't be done. And we need to watch out because that root, that bitter, that you may say, well, this only affects me. It doesn't. This passage makes it clear. It says, don't do it because by it, many become defiled. If you allow a bitter root within your own life, it will not just impact you. It will impact those around you. It will negatively impact those all around, whether your family, your church, your friends. It cannot be allowed to remain. And you need to realize that it is something that you need to deal with, and that it is ultimately against God because you are lacking faith, right? That's why he just went through the Hebrew church, facing the discipline, the hardship of God. The pain was brought into life by God, and they were going to be bitter anyway. It was God who was in control, is always in control of what happens to us. 
And so do not allow that to grow in yourself or in those around you, because it will defile many. Trust God. Give it over to Him. Continue to entrust it to Him. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. That doesn't mean it's going to go away. But up to you, you need to be at peace with other people, and you need to be pursuing God and His holiness. And so, the last warning, alright, the last warning that we see um, is more or less, don't be Esau. Alright? And so we started this, this chapter, right, of chapter 12 in Hebrews, we started with an example of Jesus Christ. And we end this section of endurance and of working through hardship, pain, discipline, and to continue the race so that we don't give up, we end it with an example of who not to be. Of somebody who did give up. Alright, we, we look at it, and it says, you know, we watch out that, that for souls, that people that have not obtained the grace of God, we watch out that bitterness does not grow. And then it says, or being sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. And there are people that write, well, is sexually immoral separate from Esau or is it part of Esau? It doesn't really matter. Just don't do either one, all right? Don't be unholy. Don't be sexually immoral. They're both not good, all right? And so we, whether it's it because Esau did marry wives that were not approved, right? He did that despite his father. He did things that were immoral, all right? He was leaving. And the idea is giving in, being immoral and unholy, is just giving in to your desires, giving in to your fleshly desires as opposed to following after God. And that's what Esau did. And if you remember back in Genesis, if you read through the Old Testament, what the author is referring to, if you think about it, it says, don't be like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. Alright? He sold his birthright for a single meal. What is Hebrews? He took what was valuable, what was his right, his birthright, which carried much blessing, was even spiritual nature, and traded it for what? One single meal. Right? He didn't even trade it for something that was amazing. He didn't even trade it for a full Thanksgiving feast. All right, he traded it for, I guess what was roughly translated as red stuff. All right, and that's, that's it, a bowl of pottage. I didn't bring a bowl of oatmeal or pottage or stuff, but I do have an instant oatmeal, all right, no bill, orangish, reddish. He traded his whole birthright, the birthright that would give him blessings, traded it for something that's roughly equivalent to this. All right, it doesn't seem like a fair trade, but why did he do it? Because he came in from hunting, he came in and he was starving. Alright, if you ever been really hungry, even this looks good, right? It looks good because you're starving and hunger is the best sauce. It makes everything look amazing. And he couldn't handle the hardship of waiting. He couldn't even go through the hardship of making his own food. He gave in at the instant of hardship, he traded in what was inferior, or traded in what was superior for what was inferior. Without a question, he just traded it right in. And because of that, he traded what was valuable for something that was not valuable. He did what the author of Hebrews is warning us about. He said, I know that you're suffering. Do not go back to what was before. Don't go into the suffering. Don't, don't give up because of this hardship and go back to Judaism. Don't give up on Jesus Christ. Finish the race. Keep going. Don't give in. Don't be like an Esau 
who was Esau was similar to as Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, he talks about people who are now enemies of the cross. And it says, whose God is their belly. And it sounds, sounds a weird way to say it, but what he's saying is their desires are their God. Whatever they desire and feel, just like Esau felt hungry, that is what rules them. And he said, do not do it. Don't give up. Don't be like Esau. Look to Jesus. Because it says, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And again, this is not saying that God refuses repentance. It's saying that Esau didn't even truly repent. Right? He sought it, but if you look how it's worded here, what, did he, what was he looking for? He desired to inherit the blessing. It didn't say that he was repentant for his sin. It didn't say that he looked back and was like, oh, I did wrong. It's like, I want the blessing. I want the outcome of endurance, even though I didn't endure. He wanted to have the blessing without the endurance. And this is what the author is trying to warn against. Jesus received it because he suffered for the joy that was set before him. He endured. He is our example so that we endure and don't give up. And we can endure because we know that God is in control. It's not because, well, I'm just tougher than other people, or because we have a stronger willpower. It's all because of what God is at work within us doing, and that we are following what he has put before us. So don't be an Esau. It says he was rejected because he found no chance to repent, even though he saw it with tears. And the warning is, if you are struggling or wondering or on the fence, have I accepted Christ? Am I going? Am I going to follow God or am I not? Don't put it off. Today is the day of salvation. Because if you continue to put it off, you run the risk of being like Esau. Recognizing that you don't have what you really want, but not fully understanding the need or recognizing the need to fully repent. And there is a callousness. There are people who may be like that. And so don't put it off. Don't take it granted. Set your mind on the things that are above. Seek after Jesus. And so as we wrap up this section, these are, these are hard and even sobering words. And what we need to do is just to, to, to think about it, to contemplate it. Where are you? Where are you at in your race? Where are you at in your race? Are you just starting? Are you not even entered the race of faith yet? Because if you have not entered the race of faith, I would plead with you that you would follow after Jesus Christ. He alone can give you salvation. He alone is what is worth suffering through. So I would plead with you, if you have not never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that you would do that today. He came to this earth to die on the cross, to pay for our sins, something that we could never do. If you're in the midst, I know there are people listening today, watching today, you are going through extremely difficult times. Whether it's tied to COVID or whether it's tied to life circumstances, pain and hurt that you do not understand. As a child of God, you know that God will work all things together for your good. And that through this pain, He is deepening your relationship with Him. That you are testing to understand the depth of His love as you go through this pain. Don't Give up. Trust Him. Continue to move forward. Strive 
for peace with all people. All right? Don't let your petty differences, don't let your desires and your actions get in the way of being at peace with other people. Strive for peace. Put others above yourself, as Paul said in Philippians 2. And set your mind on God. Focus on Jesus Christ. He is the example we need to follow. Don't give up. Don't fall back. Don't give in to what is easy. He will strengthen you. He will help you on your way. So those are the challenges that we need to follow today. Because, right, get the Word of God doesn't just give us truth and then let us try and figure it out. It even tells us what we need to do with this truth, how we practically apply it to our lives. So seek to apply His Word today. I'll pray as we continue on as we close. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your patience with us. Lord, we thank you for your Word. Lord, the truth that you are at work for our good, your glory. And Lord, that is true. That is not something we just hope might happen. That is happening. May we rest in that truth. Whether things are going well, whether we're running the race and feel strong right now, or whether we are weak and tired. Lord, may we find strength in your word and in the truth of who you are. May we encourage and strengthen others and be in strength, be strengthened and encouraged by others. So Lord, we just pray that you would work because there are many Father, many that are struggling, that again, maybe home because of COVID or quarantine or different circumstances that make life seem hard. May those things not take our focus off of you. May we continue to look to you and the example you set for us through your son, that we may grow, that we may be encouraged, and that we may finish our race, Lord, for your honor and for your glory. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What a great word from Pastor Chad. Powerful, very applicable scripture for us this morning. In 2020, do you need spiritual invigoration? It's a question I wrote down in my notes as Chad is preaching. Do you need spiritual invigoration in 2020? Do I need it? Do we need it? Um, are you swerving away from the gospel? Are you looking to the right and to the left? Are you looking around at everything else around you? Are you looking straight ahead at Jesus Christ? Are you letting bitterness settle into your heart? For some of you, Chad's word was directly for you. Some of you are letting bitterness begin to settle into your soul. By God's grace, you can fight that successfully this morning. And finally, is Jesus the biggest person in your life? Is he the biggest person in your life? Bigger than your circumstances, bigger than the trials, bigger than the, the, the difficulties of this sojourning human experience. Is Jesus the biggest person? Um... If you have more questions about where you're at spiritually, reach out to us, post on this thread, text us, call us, connect with us. We would love to share the good news of Jesus with you, that forgiveness of sins and eternal life can be yours by simple faith in Jesus. And if you're a believer, I hope that Chad's word was a great encouragement to you this morning in your walk with God. We love you. 
Thank you so much for tuning in this morning. If you're coming to the 10 a.m. service at AMC, we will see you very, very soon. God bless you. Have a great day.